Good morning. For the last time of the year, anyways, well, besides tonight. The well-known preacher, Henry Ward Beecher, um, from the 1800s, said this, We have passed through one more year, one more long stage in the journey of life, with its ascents and descents in dust and mud and rocks and thorns and burdens, that where the shoulders is done. The old year is dead. Roll it away. Let it go. God in his providence has brought us out of it. It is gone. Its evil is gone. Its good remains. The evil has perished and the good survives. Thinking of this quote, really blessed by it because I don't know how your 2023 was, but it's interesting that we have opportunities like today. God gives us an opportunity to evaluate, right? To look back and to, to think, how was our year? How was your year? And in his statement here, I like what he says here. He says, roll this year away, almost like you would an old carpet, right? Roll it up, put it away. The evil is gone, and the good remains. Isn't that so true about life? So often, and, you know, even, even our stats tell us this, you know, when, when we look at life, we realize that 95% of the things we're anxious about and we worry about through the course of a calendar year never happen. And, and even when we look at the last year, we think of some of the, maybe some of the negatives, some of the things we wish had not occurred. We're grateful that the good memories remain. We don't want to think of the negative things, the, the things that we did not enjoy as part of 2023. But as we reflect on our year, I find it interesting that God has so designed our mind that we often, as we look back, we do remember the good things. The good things remain. And it should be that way. You know, with, with every season in life, with every event that we go through, we, we evaluate things at the end. I mean, we do often after, like say we have a seminar here. Say we have a series of meetings um, Maybe it's the end of a baseball season, or maybe it's the end of, of something that you, that you did through the course of 2023. You look back sometimes and you evaluate, and you ask yourself, well, how did this go? Maybe, maybe in your job, you look back and you're like, yeah, there were things that I appreciated about my job this last year, but there's things going forward that I would like changed. So with so many of these things we evaluate. We, we think, should I do these things again? What could I change about 2024 that I, that I don't want to repeat? What cycle have I been going through? What, what are some negatives? What, you know, where do I find myself in the rut in life? And moving forward to 2024, I'd rather not repeat. And these are good questions for us to ask. You know, not, not only do we evaluate our, our year, do you ever find yourself evaluating your life? 
I think the older you get, you do. You evaluate your life. You start to think. And, and I've done this too. And I don't know if you remember when we had Lauren Wisman here. And he, he was just sharing with us a little bit of uh, a perspective on eternity and how brief our life is. And something that really stood out there to me and just kind of reminded me again is, is how brief our life on earth is. And I, I, I came to this thought, and I'm like, you know, I probably have less left in my life than I've already left. That's a kind of a, a sobering perspective, right? That what the years that you have remaining are less than what you have already lived. And then, and then you start to look at your, your, your life, and you evaluate, and you're like, what have I been pursuing all my life? What really matters at the end of the road? When I, when I hit the finish line, what am I going to be remembered for? Do you ever think about that? When I'm gone from this world, what, am I, what kind of legacy am I going to leave? What, when, when people see a picture of me somewhere, what are they going to say about me? And I think every one of us wants to leave something lasting, something of value. And so it's great for us to, to have these moments in our life where we reflect, where we ask ourselves, what, what am I doing with my life? I came across this um, um, study done by, by a hospice nurse. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with a hospice, a hospice is usually a place where people go um, that are terminally ill. They're, they're dying. They have limited time left. Some of them have a week left. Some of them have three weeks left. Some of them have a month left or two months or three months. But anyways, um, this is, this is a, a reality check for people because they know that in a short while they're going to breathe their last breath. And so in her study, she shares five regrets that she constantly heard over and over and over again coming from people who were evaluating their life. And, and these are common evaluations and common thoughts, and I want to share them with you because I think we ought to consider some of these things. We all want to um, consider some of these things. What will I be remembered for? And the first, the first thing she says when she talks to people who are facing the inevitable end of their life, this was a question they had, or a thought that they had. They said, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. It's interesting, right? Here's, here's people at the end of the line, and, and this is a thought, you know, I wish I had lived a life not based on other people's expectations. Wow, I think that's, that's pretty deep. You know, in, in our world today, um, we all do this. But we, we want people to only see the shiny side of us, right? The good perspective. I mean, isn't that what social media is all about? I mean, on, on Facebook or Instagram or, or um, whatever you use. You, you put pictures of a happy family. You put pictures of a smiling couple in love, right? We don't see 
what goes on behind doors on social media, right? We don't see the, the nasty side of life. We don't see the arguments, the disagreements, the conflict, the hard times, the broken marriages, the shame, the guilt of addictions and bondages. You know, we don't see those things, right? But in reality, we know they're there. We know that what we're seeing is, is just the front side. But I was thinking of this thought, you know, when we reach the end of our life, if our, we look back and say, all I ever did was live for the expectations of other people. I mean, that's, that ought not to be. We ought to be able to um, leave behind the treasures and riches that God has given us in, in fullness. In, in our uniqueness. God has created us all different with, with an amazing talent, amazing gifts that he's given us which are meant to be poured out for the kingdom of heaven, for his use. And, and yet, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've encountered this, you've encountered this, but it's sad for me when I, I, I realize sometimes people spend their entire life um, and, and, and possibly having grown up in a home where they never measured up. Maybe that's your story. But, but it's, isn't it sad when you see, and I've, I, I've observed people doing this, that spend their entire life trying to show the world they're a success because they had a mom and dad who, who never encouraged them. In fact, probably discouraged them, probably said all kinds of um, horrible remarks, telling them they'll never measure up to anything, telling them they're, they're a fool or, or dumb or stupid. And, and so they live their entire life trying to demonstrate that they're successful people. And so you want people to, to spend time with you. And they're not there. They're missing. They're gone. You're lonely. And so people come to this conclusion at the end of their life. You know, I didn't have meaningful relationships in life. I didn't invest into other people. I wanted people to invest into me, but I, I never invested into other people. I, I realized this more and more even recently. You know, I, I think about this sometimes even even in the role of me being a pastor here in the church. And you know, just, just recently, Helen and I were having this conversation, and we're like, you know, we have a lot of casual friends, but, but sometimes it's lonely. Sometimes we don't, we don't have a whole lot of close friends that, that we can sit down and just, just pour our heart out to, and, and, and that, to just love on each other. And, and so, so we have seen recently, too, you know, let's, let's invest into relationships. Relationships are important. Rather than, than caring so much about the things of this world, let's put those things aside. Let's invest into relationships. And I just, I, I think that quality relationships are sacred and invaluable and can often fill us with great joy. And I want to encourage you to invest into people and friendships that at the end of the line, you'll be able to have people 
that love you and appreciate you and care about you. I think that's really important. And then, and then the fifth regret that people had was this. I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I had let myself be happier. Isn't that interesting? As they're facing the end of their life there, I wish I had let myself be happier. And <clears throat> I think this goes even along the lines of suppressing yourself. And I, I think even sometimes um, in our walk with the Lord, I mean, what, what ought to give us the most joy and happiness? It ought to be our connection to Jesus. It ought to be this recognition that a born-again person has, who's been regenerated by the Spirit of God, a born-again person who, who comes to this thought, I believe in Jesus. And because of that, he's given me immortality. Which means that I have eternal life right now. While you're sitting here in the pew, you have eternal life right now. And it, it ought to fill you with joy. Your, your walk with the Lord ought to fill you with so much joy that it should be visible on your countenance, on, in your actions, wherever you go, every moment of every day. And I, I wonder sometimes if we aren't like some of these people too, that we will come to a place in our life where we'll say, you know, I wish I had let myself be happier. And sometimes I wonder, do, do we suppress the joy inside? Sometimes I think even in our worship, you know, as we're singing praises to the Lord, sometimes we suppress our joy, right? Sometimes we keep it locked up inside because, because we're worried about what others will think of us. And, and I just, I don't want us to go to the end of our life and think, you know, I wish I had let myself be happier. I wish I didn't suppress myself. Because of other people. If you have your Bibles there, I want us to look at Paul's example. Um, when we're talking about regrets, and we're talking about our current life, maybe even 2023, but even our current life, and as we look to the future, I think Paul has an excellent word of wisdom in Philippians chapter 3 starting at verse 12, <clears throat> and he says this, he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. When you look at this verse, ask yourself, what had Paul not yet obtained? She says here very clearly, not that I have already obtained But I press on to make it my own. What had he not yet obtained? Had he not obtained salvation? No, he had obtained salvation. He had had an encounter with the Lord. He had had a filling of the Holy Spirit in his life. And here he is. Remember, Philippians is a prison epistle. He wrote the book of Philippians while sitting in a cold, dark Roman cell. A little different than our jails of today. He was sitting in this Roman prison, evaluating his life. And he says, I've come to the conclusion I have not yet obtained. 
What? What do you mean, Paul? You, you have salvation. Is that not enough? In a verse 10, <clears throat> if you go back a few verses here in Philippians 3, Paul says this. He says, that I may know him. That I may know him. In the power of his resurrection. Maybe you're saying, Paul, you did know him. You encountered him on the road to Damascus. Well, then what do you mean? He says, that I, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and that I may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And so Paul, now as he's evaluating, he says, not that I have already obtained. I, I'm, I'm not there yet. But he says, there's a, there's a longing inside my heart that I would know him to a fuller degree. Oh, that I would know him. Is that your heart? As you evaluate your life, he, he says, I'm not, I haven't reached a state of perfection in my life, but I press on to make it my own. I press on. Oh, that I would know him. That I would know him. That I would be able to share in his sufferings. That I would be able to become like him in his death. That by any means possible I would attain the resurrection of the dead. Nothing in this world matters to me, he was saying. And he's sitting in this prison cell. He's like, oh, I haven't yet reached this point. I'm not there yet. I haven't yet obtained this. But I long for this. I long to know him. To know him to know him, to experience him over and over. You see, he, Paul recognized his failures, his flaws, his shortcomings. When we evaluate our life, you and I all do that. You and I all, when we evaluate our life, we, we know the thoughts we think don't always impress God, don't always please Him. We know the life that we live, the decisions we make, we're very glad sometimes that not everybody sees what we do. We, we know our flaws. We know how weak we are. We know how, how easily swayed we are by temptation and sin. Paul knew this too. And he says, I'm, I know I'm not perfect. I, have not, I haven't obtained what I'm looking for. But there's, there's a deep... Um, uh, hunger inside of me that longs to know him to a fuller degree. You see, in our Christian life, most of you <clears throat> could probably identify with this. When you start your Christian journey, you're, you're enthusiastic. You're full of zeal. You share your faith wherever you go. You're, you're on fire for the Lord. And very often, you know, at salvation, in, in, in our first years as a Christian, we think nothing could ever quell this. But I wonder how many of you here now, as you look at your Christian life, you don't see this anymore. You see complacency. You look at your heart and you're like, or your life and you're like, 
I don't even share the gospel with people in my workplace. I don't even talk about Jesus anymore. And many Christians today are living a life of indifference. And if you're very honest with yourself, as you reflect and evaluate, you probably are sitting here thinking, you know, my zeal isn't what it once was. My love for Jesus isn't what it once was. And as you evaluate those things, I want to encourage you. That's not necessarily the worst place to be. I want you to notice what he says here. He says, I haven't reached perfection. But I press on. I press on, he says. Which means I don't throw in the towel. I don't give up. I don't surrender because of my horrible circumstances in life. This term is an athletic term. And it symbolizes a runner running a race. Maybe a 100-meter dash, 400-meter dash. And by him saying, pressing on, it means that he is giving everything. Everything. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you are thinking that your life is less than what it ought to be, and you realize your zeal isn't where it should be, and you've become indifferent in your, in your faith, maybe in your ministry, instead of throwing in the towel, I want you to consider what the Apostle Paul did here. He, he said, hey, I haven't gotten there. I haven't yet obtained this, but I have a, a burning desire to know him, to just experience him to a greater degree. And I want to encourage you, use your current dissatisfaction, not as a means of losing hope, but as a springboard in your life. You can do that. Use your current dissatisfaction as a springboard to get you to the next place. A sense of inadequacy in our life can actually challenge us to grow. When we, when we look at our life like the Apostle Paul did, and we, we're, we're measuring ourselves, we're like, you know, I'm not where I'd like to be. God has given me gifts and I'm I'm not pouring myself out like I ought to. Instead of allowing that to cause you to give up, rather look ahead like Paul did. I'm not going to let this drag me down. I'm going to press on. I'm going to press on. I'm going to look at my life. I'm going to evaluate it. I'm going to realize that I mess up way too often. And I'm going to use it as a springboard to press on. And I want you to see that in this passage here. In verse 13, he says this. He says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Almost the same reminder again. I don't consider that I have arrived. I'm not there. That I have made it my own. But he says, 
one thing I do. I hope you focus on that this morning. One thing I do. One thing I do. I'm not yet arrived. I'm not there. But I do one thing. Forgetting what lies behind me. Forgetting the hang-ups and the failures and the inconsistencies. And straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting my past. And straining forward to what lies ahead. I want you to think about this one thing. I think sometimes we need a singular focus in life. Don't you think so? A singular focus. You know, there's some, some thoughts about this in the Word of God. John MacArthur, in one of his sermons, actually said that something that motivated him in his life was his grandfather, who said this to him, just do one thing right in your life, and you'll be way ahead of most people. Just do one thing right in your life, and you'll be way ahead of most people. I think this is, this is that singular focus that Paul is talking about. Jesus said something similar. Remember in Luke chapter 10, <clears throat> the story of Martha and Mary? Mary comes to Jesus, or Martha comes to Jesus and complains about her sister Mary and, and, and says, hey, you know, she's not helping me and I'm doing all these things and, you know, tell her to help me. And, <laughs> and, and Jesus says, Martha, you're, you're worried about so many things. You're distracted and caught up by so many things. And then he says this to her. He says, one thing is necessary. One thing. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. One thing. And he's, I think he was directing Martha. You know, you're, you're so caught up in all these different things. Focus, be singularly focused on the prize, on the end goal. And, and this, is, this is the heart of Paul when he's writing the scripture passage. He's He's like, one thing I do, forgetting what's behind me. Forgetting what's behind me. I'm done living my life in its broken past. I'm done allowing that to mess me up. David also says something similar about being singular focused. In Psalm 27, 4, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. That will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Singularly focused, you know, David said, I just want to be where God is. I just want to focus on the beauty of the Lord. I just want to be in his temple. I want to be there and, and worship. One thing. I think the singular focus is very important for us. And yet, we need to be focused. When we're talking about a singular focus, it must be on the right thing. There's people that have a singular focus on the wrong thing, on wrong goals, on temporary goals. It's reading this story um, from, from the Daily Bread um, website. 
This is a story of the, a guy named John Krakeer, who was a mountain climber. And he says, says here of him that he was determined to reach the roof of the world, the peak of Mount Everest, in an arduous ascent that ended up killing some of his fellow climbers, he persevered. And on May 10th, 1996, he reached the summit of Mount Everest. This is what he says. As he, he writes of this moment, he says, I understood on some dim, detached level that the sweep of earth beneath my feet was a spectacular sight. I'd been fantasizing about this moment in the release of emotion that would accompany it for many months. But now, he says, that I was finally here, standing on the summit of Mount Everest, I just couldn't summon the energy to care. A temporary goal will do that to us. There's people that, that pursue temporary goals. Maybe they're even singularly focused. And they pursue a temporary goal. And like this man, they reach the summit, the pinnacle of what they thought they, were, they ought to pursue. And all of a sudden, they're like, huh, I thought this would actually be what satisfies me. I thought this would be what I needed. Some people do that when they get married. They're like, oh, I finally reached the summit of everything I wanted to live for. Some people do it when they finally get their dream job. And then, if that is their only focus, they come to this place in their life where, oh, it's not what I thought it was. It's emptier and more unfulfilling than I had hoped. And disappointment reaches deep into your heart. And you start to think, is this, what is life? What is the meaning of life? Did everything I pursue only lead to this? And so a singular focus on a temporary goal won't satisfy. This is not what Paul is saying here. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind me, forgetting the hang-ups and the failures, and the things that people said about me, the nasty things maybe that have governed me all my life, where I've tried to prove to people I'm a success when I thought of myself as a failure all my life. You know, it's, it's all of those things, the lies that we need to forget. A runner doesn't look back. If a runner looks back, he loses his pace. And I just want to ask you, how is the past tripping you up? How is it keeping you this morning from looking ahead to 2024 with anticipation? Can, can you look at a new year and say, I'm excited as the calendar rolls over. I'm excited to know what's coming. 
I'm excited to know how I can pour myself out and how people's lives will be changed as a result of me having my place in this world. And I think we need to ask ourselves, how do I forget what lies behind? What do I need to do in my life to forget what lies behind me? I've always um, enjoyed this story from history about the Spanish explorer Cortez. Um, Cortez landed in Veracruz, Mexico in the 1500s. You're probably familiar with Veracruz from Henry and Anna Wall. Well, in 1519, way before the birth of Mexico, Cortez lands in Veracruz with 700 men. And he conquers Mexico. Interesting story. Do you know how he does it? He comes onto the land with his 700 men and he sets his 11 ships on fire. So he comes across the ocean in 11 ships with 700 men and he sets them on fire, the ships. Why does he do that? The story goes here is that he realized that the obstacles they would face in Mexico would be so severe that they would retreat. They'd go back. So he cuts off their means of retreat. So they had no place to go but forward. And as a result, he was able to conquer the land. You know, I think sometimes that that needs to be our mentality when we think about the past. Instead of dragging it with us wherever we go and letting it keep us from being all that God has called us to be. You know, what are some ships that you might need to burn in your life? What are some things that you need to to destroy and bury so that you don't go back? That you can actually forget what lies behind you. So that it doesn't corrupt you every single hour of your life. As you turn the calendar year to 2024. That it doesn't creep up and drag you down again the next 365 days. You know, this was incredibly important to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine if he would have continued to be racked with guilt for having murdered so many Christians? He, he, he destroyed the lives of so many people while he was zealously persecuting them because of his wrong ideology. What if he had allowed that to hamstring him, to, to make him into something that he couldn't be, to cripple him? And so he recognized the importance of this principle, this biblical principle of putting your past behind you in everything that it's always been to you. And I just want to encourage you here today, and I believe God has given me a word for you today. Stop living in your past. And I just, I, I look even at your beautiful faces here this morning, and I know that sitting in these pews here is treasure, incredible treasure, gifts, talents, gold, 
that ought to be mined for the kingdom of God. And many of you aren't using it. You're allowing your feelings, you're allowing the words of other people, maybe the expectations of other people, to cripple you and keep you from being fruitful and productive in the kingdom of God. You, you must recognize that when God stepped into your life to save you, he didn't save you just to plant you on a pew. He saved you so that you could, in turn, invest back into his kingdom. He opened your eyes to see him so that he could use you for his purpose. Don't you want to be at the end of your life one day and look back with a smile and say, I poured myself out. I gave everything. Yes, I gave it all. I left it behind. I can now meet my Lord because I know I'm going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I gave it. I left it there. I invested. Hebrews 12, 1 talks about this as well. Um, This very thought. And and when I think of Hebrews 12, 1, I think of a Colosseum. Remember these great Roman Colosseums? Where where these gladiators would come in and they would fight and the crowds would cheer. They would pick their guy and they would be behind him. And Hebrews 12, 1 says something like this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And, and when I think of this word, I think of this, this heavenly picture of the saints in glory. And the martyrs and, and, and people who gave their life to the Lord um, sitting in the grandstand, sitting in the seats. And you and I are in the arena. And we're facing a battle every single day. And there's, the witnesses are saying, hey, look to Jesus. You can do it. You can be an overcomer. You can conquer You don't have to live the rest of your life because of your past, your fears, and your failures. And so the writer of Hebrews says this, because we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. What is weighing you down? And he says, let us lay aside every weight in sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance, the race that is set before us. is run with endurance. We're, we're called to a race. But we're allowing the past to drag us down and hinder us. The words of other people to diminish what we could give to God. And, and the writer of Hebrews says, you know how you can do this? You can look to Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus did it. He was the first fruits. He was the forerunner. And in his day, 
It was hard for him too to endure the cross. It was hard for the creator to allow the created to do what they did to him. But he did it because of the joy that was set before him. And he took these weights aside and he ran with endurance. And the writer of Hebrews says to us here, says, hey, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He did it for the the joy that was coming, for his future reward. And so Paul says here, forget those things that are behind you and strain forward to what lies ahead. Strain forward to what lies ahead. You know, the, the picture I get of that is, again, of this runner, maybe running the 100 meter or the 400 meter, and he's giving every ounce of energy that he possibly can. He's, he's straining every muscle, every nerve is, is singularly focused on the prize, on the goal, on the finish line. This, this is where I think as believers we, we fail often. Maybe we even hear the forgetting the past. But we don't understand that we're living in a fight, in a battle, in a war, in a race. And that we can either live a complacent life, bearing no fruit, or we can choose better. And we can choose to leave it all, give it all. And, and this is what this straining forward text is about. That you would hit the finish line running strong, giving everything. The guy by the name of Herb King who wrote um, an article in the San Francisco Chronicle, I was really encouraged by this. He says this, every morning in Africa, a gazelle wakes up. If you don't know what a gazelle is, it's kind of like a, like a deer, something like that. He says, it knows it must run faster than the fastest lion or it will be killed. Interesting, right? Wakes up. It has an instinct inside of it that knows that it must run fast today. Well, every morning a lion wakes up in Africa. It knows it must outrun the slowest gazelle or it will starve to death. It's interesting, right? And he says this. He says, it doesn't matter whether you're a lion or a gazelle. When the sun comes up, you'd better be running. And I I think it's a good illustration because we find ourselves probably in either camp. But the encouragement, the motivation for us is not to be governed to be crippled, what if the gazelle was so crippled by his fear he wouldn't run? He would be destroyed. What if the lion gave up? No, he's got to pursue, he's got to strain. I love this idea, straining forward. Unless some of, you know, some of you might be thinking, are you preaching a workspace salvation? Not at all. 
the Apostle Paul is sharing what Christian ministry ought to look like. Remember, he hadn't yet obtained it, he said. But he was longing to know Jesus more intimately, and it was causing him to strain forward. This isn't a works-based salvation. Salvation had already occurred. This is the Christian life. And this is the Christian life that ought to be lived apart in a way in distance from a life of apathy or complacency or indifference or where we don't care. Put it in other ways. He says in verse 14, he says, I, I strain forward and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. Can you, as you evaluate your life, can you say that about yourself? I'm, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on, pressing on. The hymn says, I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I onward bound, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. What we're talking about here is maturity in the Christian life. We're not talking about salvation when we're talking about straining forward. We're talking about growing and maturing and becoming fruitful in our Christian journey. In doing this, we realize it becomes a battle all the way through life. There's never a moment where we sit back on our Muskoka chair with our legs folded and our hands crossed and we just enjoy life, right? No, it doesn't work that way. We can have vacations like that, but that's not how we live our Christian life. Our Christian life will always be one of fighting, one of struggle. Maybe that's not what you want to hear today. But every pursuit in life as a Christian ought to be a straining forward. Ought to be one step in front of the other. Using failures as springboards. Not dwelling in our past. Straining forward. High in the Alps, there's a monument raised in honor of a a faithful guide who perished while ascending a peak to rescue a stranded tourist. On this memorial stone are these words, he died climbing. It's uh, a good analogy. He died climbing. He didn't just sit there with a victim mentality and think, oh, you know, I am never measure up to anything. I may as well just stop. He died climbing. This, this is what our Christian life ought to look like. It ought to be one where when we reflect at the end of our life, we can say, you know what? I never stopped working for the kingdom of God. I I never retired from that. Others did, but I didn't. Because the price that it took for me to be redeemed was so valuable to me that I spent the rest of my life pursuing it. And And even when you're 80 years old, there's this heart cry that says, oh, that I would know him. Because you realize you haven't yet obtained. But there's this thought, oh, that that I would know him to a fuller degree, that I would experience more of him. 
that, that every waking second would be more of him, that, that tomorrow there'd be less of self and more of him. Oh, that I would know him. Oh, that I would experience him. Let those of us, he says, who are mature think this way. Philippians 3.15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. It's an interesting statement, eh? You value your Christian life, you think you're mature? Well, Paul, sitting in his, his prison, his Roman prison, says, you know what? All I long for is to know him. And so one thing I do, put aside my past, which trips me up, destroys me all the time, and I strain forward to what lies ahead of me. I want to just close today with a story. A beggar lived near the king's palace. One day, he saw a proclamation posted outside the palace gate. The king was giving a great dinner. Anyone dressed in royal garments was invited to the party. The beggar went on his way. He looked at the rags he was wearing and he sighed. Surely only kings and their families wore royal robes, he thought. Slowly an idea crept into his mind. The audacity of it made him tremble. Would he dare? He made his way back to the palace. He approached the guard at the gate. Please, sire, I would like to speak to the king. Wait here, the guard replied. In a few minutes he was back. His majesty will see you, he said, and let the beggar in. You wish to see me, asked the king. Yes, your majesty. I want so much to attend the banquet, but I have no royal robes to wear. Please, sir, if I may be so bold, may I have one of your old garments so that I too may come to the banquet. The beggar shook so hard that he could not see the faint smile that was on the king's face. You have been wise in coming to me, the king said. He called to his son, the young prince, Take this man to your room and array him in some of your clothes. The prince did as he was told, and soon the beggar was standing before a mirror, clothed in garments that he had never dared hope for. You are now eligible to attend the king's banquet tomorrow night, said the prince. But even more important, you will never need any other clothes. These garments will last forever. The beggar dropped to his knees. Oh, thank you, he cried. But as he started to leave, he looked back at his pile of dirty rags on the floor. He hesitated. What if the prince was wrong? What if he would need his old clothes again? Quickly, he gathered them up. The banquet was far greater than he had ever imagined, but he could not enjoy himself as he should. He had made a small bundle of his old rags, and it kept falling off his lap. The food was passed quickly, and the beggar missed some of the greatest delicacies. Time proved that the prince was right. The clothes lasted forever. Still, the poor beggar grew fonder and fonder of his old rags. As time passed, people seemed to forget the royal robes he was wearing. 
they saw only the little bundle of filthy rags that he clung to wherever he went. They even spoke of him as the old man with the rags. One day as he lay dying, the king visited him. The beggar saw the sad look on the king's face when he looked at the small bundle of rags by the bed. Suddenly the beggar remembered the prince's words and he realized that his bundle of rags had cost him a lifetime of true royalty. He wept bitterly at his folly and the king wept with him. This is... um, so it reminds me of people that go to the end of their life and they say, you know, I have all these regrets. All these regrets. This reminds me of the Christian who's given everything by a king. Everything. All that is needed for life and godliness. Treasures. And then we spend our entire lifetime feeding from the pig pen. We spend the rest of our life consumed by the weak and beggarly elements of this world. Maybe you're there. Maybe that's you. You realize that there's so much better that could have happened in your life. There's so much that you could have given There's so much the church could have been blessed by. The world could have been blessed by. The kingdom of heaven could have been blessed by had you left aside those old rags. And I think that there's some of you here today that are sitting in your pew this morning and there's a pile of old rags on your lap. I was uh, talking to a young man this week, so encouraged by what he said. He said, there was a time in his life, a few years ago, a number of years ago, he said, I, I was drinking and, and partying. And he said, it was horrible. I woke up the next morning with a hangover. He says, I went out fishing. And he said, I found myself at a place of beauty and nature. And he said, God came and encountered him there. And he said this, he said, all of a sudden I had this realization that God wanted more from me. That the life that I was trading in for his was so much better. And he was sharing how that was a pivotal moment in his life. And I think that we also need to realize there is so much more that we could live for that we ought not to be delayed a moment longer with the old rags. We're missing. You're, you're, you're going day after day And you're missing the delicacies from the king's table. You're missing what David discovered when he said, all I want to do is 
Sit in the temple of the Lord and behold the beauty of the Lord. You're missing what Mary discovered when she says, when Jesus said of her, one thing she has desired will not be taken. You're missing what Paul says here. When he says, one thing I do. I haven't yet obtained it. But I long to know him, experience him, and I strain forward. I press on because, guess what? There's a motivating factor. There's a reason I ought to press on. I see the prize at the end of the road. See the finish line. And I see the great crowd of spectators cheering me on. So, lay aside the weight. The sin which clings so closely so that you can run with endurance. So, that as you step into 2024, it's with light feet, free of these weights and the sin, the old rags. I don't do this very often, but I'm convinced that I'm speaking to some of you here this morning, personally. I want to invite you Maybe this is you. And you want to make a public statement here this morning by standing up? I want to pray for you. Maybe as you think about your life, you realize that this is you. As you evaluate your life, you know that you've been living with these old rags. And they've dominated you for too long and today you can use your failure as a springboard to press on to a higher degree is there anybody here like that would you be willing to publicly make a statement in front of these witnesses here just stand up where you are and say you know what pray for me that's me I want to pray for you if God has spoken to you in that regard Stand up. There's nothing shameful about it. Every single one of us knows that we haven't yet obtained. Every single one of us knows that there's a past in our own hearts, in our own lives, that we ought not to let us control us. there's anybody else, stand up. Let's pray together. You know, it's not about your brother or sister. Remember the, the little song that says, it's me, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we know this is a, a pivotal moment, Lord. This is a moment, Lord, that you have orchestrated in our lives. Lord, you care deeply about us, Lord. Father, I want to pray for each person that has courageously stood up and said, you know, my life isn't what it ought to be. That my life could be on a better plane. Lord, I want to pray for each individual here today, Lord. 
Lord, you know that those who are standing here, Lord, know everything about their own past. They know their hang-ups, Lord. They know their failures. They know how deeply they have disappointed you. And so, Lord, as we reflect, we invite you today to do a purging work in our hearts, Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ, Lord. Father, you did it to the Apostle Paul. You gave him such a hunger, such a thirst, where he said, I haven't yet obtained, but I desire it. I haven't yet obtained, but one thing I do. I put the past behind me, and I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on. Father, I pray, would you pour your spirit upon each person here today? And these who are standing, Lord, are saying they're, they want to enter 2024. Not in a rut. Would you, by your grace, reveal to them where they need to burn their ships so that they can move forward without looking back, that they can run the race? Father, would you reveal areas of sin? Would you reveal where there are weights in their lives, Lord, that are keeping them from the life that you have called them to, Lord? Oh, Father, pour your spirit upon each person here. Minister to each heart. Change lives, Lord. You are the God who changes, Lord. You prevail. You said in your word, nothing is impossible for you, Lord. So, Lord, we invite you to touch each heart here. Bring renewal. Bring revival. Bring change, Lord, as only you can. Lord, so that every single person Listening, every single person here can say, when they reach the finish line, I gave it all, I left it all. I invested because he invested into me. I invested into the kingdom. That every person, when they hit the finish line, they can say with a smile on their face, I served my Lord. I experienced him, I knew him, and I gave because he loved me. Lord, that everyone would be able to, with a smile on their face at the end of their life, greatly anticipate hearing your voice, Jesus. Oh, Lord, how sweet it will be when we, when we are gathered at the marriage supper of the Lamb and where Jesus himself serves us. Lord, how sweet it will be when we hear well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Lord, how sweet that will be. Till then, Lord, give us the capacity to climb. Give us the faith, the courage to strain for what lies ahead, Lord. Let those of us who are mature think this way, Lord. Father, minister as only you can, Lord. Thank you for what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.